Hello and welcome to I Hand Up, a podcast presented by Habitat for Humanity of Georgia that is focused on adding value through leadership development. I'm your host, Ryan Willoughby. Today, I'm joined by my good friend and mentor, Mrs. Pat Frederico. Pat has a wealth of experience working with Habitat for Humanity affiliates of all sizes from across the entire country and helping those affiliates transition through situations that are oftentimes quite difficult. Wherever your affiliate is at in its life cycle, you will benefit from this discussion with Pat. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. All right. Well, hello. Today we have Ms. Pat Frederico with us. Pat, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, bro. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. Well, Pat, I am so excited that you're on with us. Um, I do want to let the folks listening know uh, you and I have had a professional relationship now ever since I, I started this job at the ASO six years ago. You're one of the first people who reached out to me. And I'm so grateful that you're doing this for us because I feel like over these six years, I have learned so much from you and, and gleaned so much good information about how to interact with um, other affiliates, to interact with HFHI, to just for ultimately, I feel like I've become a better servant because of you and your leadership. And so I'm really excited that you're on the call with us today and looking forward to what you have to share. Well, thank you, Ryan. Um, so Pat, you're, you're one of the people, I think I've joked with you about this before. Um, you've been with Habitat for, for some time um, and your current role right now, hopefully folks won't have to talk with you, <laughs> um, but you're one of the people that I wish everybody could. So look, let me just ask you, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what you, you do uh, in the Habitat ministry? Sure. Um, I am currently the Senior Analyst for Monitoring and Compliance, and it is a position that did not exist up until six years ago it began. Um, so I had to kind of create that role um, and responsibilities because the main goal was to address those affiliates that are out of good standing and um, where they are in regards to moving the mission forward. And many affiliates, as we know, go through different challenges at different times. And so my role is to speak to them about those challenges as they relate to the good standing requirements. So it's a new position. Um, it's an interesting position. Um, and I think that having spent the last 38 years in the nonprofit sector, it makes sense that this is kind of what I'm doing now um, and how it relates to the previous work I've done in the last 38 years it culminates to um, this point in time where hopefully um, we can move forward with whatever work needs to be done with our affiliates and their next steps in this journey. Yeah, and, you know, that, that wealth of experience that you have, um, just for our listeners' benefit, so you were with Habitat previously, left for a period and came back into this role. Is that, is that right? Uh I was, Ryan. Um, I came to Habitat. Um, it's interesting. I originally started as a volunteer many years ago, and that was actually in New Jersey, where I'm from. And I was fortunate enough, I was a director um, dealing with housing and homeless services for a uh, national organization. And during that time, one of my families within our transitional housing program got involved with the local habitat and was selected as a homeowner. And I loved the, the organization so much that I decided I would be one of the folks who would build 
uh, be part of the build group for the house. And that's really where my love for Habitat began. And that was back in, what, 1991, I think it was. Um, so I, I was so grateful for that beginning and learning. So I stayed involved as a volunteer. And then I was fortunate enough that back in 2007, Habitat for Humanity hired me uh, into, a, once again, another new kind of position. It was called Organizational Development Consultants that they were hiring. There was a group of us, there were seven of us that were hired. And it was because of the experience, prior experience that I had had working within the nonprofit sector and the different roles that I'd held that allowed me to have this opportunity afforded to me. And it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, and I did it till 2011. I did leave for about two and a half years to go to a national organization based in DC, um, which was a great learning experience. But I found that I was missing what I refer to as my home when it comes to work. And so I was fortunate enough that when another position, the um, analyst for monitoring and compliance came up, that I was fortunate enough to apply and interview and was um, hired for that position so I could be back within my Habitat family. And I haven't looked back since that point six years ago. It's wonderful. That, that is awesome, Pat. That's such a great way to put it. I, I, I'll tell you, I'm... I'm glad that you're home. I'm, I'm glad you, that you, you got the position you have because I've, through my personal experience with you and in conversations with affiliates with whom you have worked, um, I think you have brought them um, to a level that they wouldn't have been at previously without your assistance. So, um, I'm so I, I, th I think we're lucky to have you in the Habitat world. And, um, you know, speaking selfishly, I know you're not a Georgia resident anymore, but you're still pretty darn close. And I'm so glad that we uh, we stole you down from the north, and that you you, you came to God's country down here. So, um, so Pat, let me let me ask you. You know, in the time that you've been with Habitat, what would you say, just just thus far, has been kind of the most rewarding part of your experience? I mean, you you've done a lot, but there, surely there's got to be those things that are the the, the coup de gras for you. What's been the most rewarding part for you? You know, Ryan. It's interesting. When I think of what has been the most rewarding, um, both when I was here the first time and then currently, it always goes back to the affiliates. The most rewarding thing about my role both times, um, and even more currently, I think, is to watch affiliates really strengthen their infrastructure and, and be able to serve more people in their communities. It brings me great joy to know that they can go from being out of good standing and address those issues if they're at that place that they really um, want to do that and feel capable of doing that. So they can begin to do the mission at, in the way they've always, you know, that they initially came to do and, and now they can do it again. Um, I know that there are challenges, but I, the joy that comes for me when I get a newsletter from an affiliate and there's one that's an all volunteer in Georgia that I get their little alerts when they're, when they're building a little newsletter to their volunteers. And, and I, there's joy every time I read it because I remember the challenges they had when I first met them five years ago. And to know now that they're making a difference and moving that mission forward their community is so much better for them, and those families are so much luckier to have them there. That brings me joy. 
That that's that's so fantastic. Those those are kind of the most rewarding things, right? Is seeing somebody that maybe mm-hmm. you know uh, di- didn't quite know the the things that they needed to work on, and then and then seeing them flourish. Um, I can think of yeah. several affiliates now off the top of my head that I know you've worked with that have done that. So um, I like to follow up this question though, kind of with the antithesis of this, because I think we can learn so much from this as well, and especially from your experience. Um, you know, with the the high points. Of, of what you just described of, of your role at Habitat. What's also maybe been one of the low points? What's been maybe the most disappointing or, or even maybe just most challenging experience that you've had? Mm. I think it's disappointing, more sad. Um, when I think of when I meet a brand new ED, um, first time Habitat affiliate has chosen, the board has chosen to hire an ED. Um, and if they've been out of good standing, then they're on my list. I, I um, make contact with them and I get to meet this wonderful new executive director. And um, I begin to coach and provide resources and support so they can work and address their good standing issues. And at the same time, like I said, coaching them, helping them um, understand what resources are out there to be a, a strong and wonderful executive director. Um, What's sad for me is when I don't, when I see a board of directors um, who doesn't support the executive director, the new executive director, they don't allow that person to actually take on the management side of the, the business. Um, and they have a difficult time transitioning back into just the governing side. And before you know it, this wonderful, very engaged and enthusiastic executive director, when they start, now all of a sudden is feeling disenchanted with the whole organization because they've not been given the opportunity to do what they came there to do. So for me, that is really difficult. Um, Many times, even though I will have conversations with board presidents and executive committees and the entire board sometimes to help educate them and making sure they understand the the roles and responsibilities and how their roles change um, as they look at moving into having a paid staff person. I do it before they hire them. I do it after they hire the executive director, but sometimes it just doesn't matter. Um, It is difficult for some of the board to let go. And because of that, they lose this wonderful person and this wonderful opportunity to strengthen the infrastructure get back into good standing and flourish as an affiliate. So that's disappointing and sad at the same time for me. So Pat, being as that's the case, I, you know, it, it leads me to think of something that I really would love to ask you. You know, you work with a lot of new executive directors. What, what would be, you know, I know you probably see a lot of the same sort of issues over and over again. You know, if you were, if, if you had a new executive director that you could almost just take them um, even before they come on board or whatever, uh, before they've seen any compliance issues, and you could just sit down with them and tell them, here's what you need to do to be successful. What would that be? What would be the things that you could hand them and just say, here's what you need to focus on more than anything. If you do this, you're going to do well. I think I would really start um, on uh, them looking at two things simultaneously is um, understanding their board of directors 
and understanding their skill sets, their knowledge, really understanding how they've been governing, okay, and see if there's some issues there. Because if, if they've not been governing effectively, that's going to be a whole other issue for her to be able to address. But as the executive director, that could be kind of challenging. So I would tell her to kind of look and see, also to see their skill sets and knowledge, because if she's their first um, paid employee, then that means that they're going to be very involved in looking at um, supporting the committee work that needs to be done. And so you want to make sure you have that bandwidth already on the board or what you're going to need to do, because that is key. The, the other thing that I would say is looking at specifically um, how the affiliate has been perceived in the community. Um, and see if there are challenges there, um, if there's misconceptions, if it's positive, then how do you build upon that in this very strategic way so you increase your volunteer levels and your donors. Um, but if it's negative, you also want to then look at how do we turn that around and how do you then create some key action steps to make sure that her role and the role that she's been brought in to do is actually put out in that community in such a positive way that it will kind of re-engage people with the affiliate that might have, they may have felt um, is has been dormant for a while or whatever that experience has been for them. So, you know, there's so many things because we know our, affiliate executive directors wear more hats than the normal executive director for any other nonprofit. So when I first talk to them, I will ask them questions specifically that look to how is their board functioning and how are they perceived in the community? Because they are two things that are, they're not addressed early on. Um, then setting up policies and procedures and um, creating new systems and, and working to so-called, you know, get back into good standing and find lots. That's not going to do anything for you if you don't address those two issues first and make sure you strengthen how you're perceived and the wonderful governing that's taking place at that affiliate. I hope that kind of answers what you were wondering about, right? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does. Um, I mean, I, and that's the kind of answer I would have expected from you is because it seems that it's really easy when you're an ED, you get on board, and what you just said is critical, right? We wear so many other hats mm -hmm. than most EDs and a nonprofit would, and there's so many problems, right? There's so many things that you could choose to make your focus, whether it's, you know, like you said, acquiring lots or finding families. But what you just said there, at least the way I heard it was, the focus really needs to be on that infrastructure, really making sure that you've got the internal, um, anyone needs the term mechanisms, but that you've got everything where it needs to be, like you said, related to governance so that you take care of that problem first. And I don't even want to call it a problem, but you, yeah. you take care of that situation first, right? Mm -hmm. And then everything else really falls under that. Would you, would you agree with that? Everything else I would, kind of absolutely. Because if that is on it off kilter, that's going to start creating roadblocks when you're working on those other issues that you're trying to bring forth for the affiliate. So yeah, you're absolutely on point with that. Well, that, that's awesome. I, I think that's so poignant and so relevant. And, you know, even for, for non-new EDs, it's probably a good thing to, to remember to be, you know, recalibrate from once, once in a while. Because uh -huh. um, I think one of the things that I, I see in my experience in working with affiliates is there are so many things that we can we can get sidetracked on, if you will, 
you know, things that um, can just kind of derail us, not even really from the mission, but just from being effective. And I'm curious to know, what are the sort of things that you kind of see commonly folks getting sidetracked or derailed on as leaders, you know, that keep them from being able to really reach that next level and be effective? Yeah. It's interesting because I just had a conversation a few weeks ago with an affiliate ED that we talked specifically about her time management because she was feeling like she just isn't getting the things done that she wanted to get done. And as we looked through it, and this is an affiliate that actually has um, some staff, um, um, some part-time staff and one full-time staff. And one of the things that she realized is that as much as she likes the idea of promoting an open door policy, that, that by physically having that door open, people were coming in and out and she was getting sidetracked and getting pulled into things that really she either didn't need to be involved immediately on or maybe didn't need to be involved at all. Or uh, she said a homeowner, she always, you know, promotes to her homeowners, she has an open door uh, policy. Well, physically having that door open has created some issues for her. And I talked to her about how she could actually still have that philosophy of an open door policy that shares that she's accessible and she encourages and staff and homeowners to come to have discussions to, to talk about challenges or whatever, but that by actually physically having that open all the time, she was getting sidetracked. And it seemed like a simple thing at first, but she realized it was bigger then because she was not able to manage her time. The other thing that I, um, I have heard from and even experienced myself when it comes to getting sidetracked is not allocating time on my calendar for specific thinking time. I know that may sound strange, but a lot of times what happens yeah. is you, you pretty much have a list of to-do list and it's Monday morning and there's all these emails to respond to and then you get phone calls in between those emails. And before you know it, you've not gotten to your to-do list. And so when I call it thinking time, it's planning time, it's every day giving yourself some time that you earmark out to really put together, okay, I'm going to do emails from 8 until 9.30. And if I get several phone calls, I'm going to let them some go to voicemail because I'm not expecting anything. And I'll just follow up then in the afternoon. I'll earmark some time on my calendar for return of those kind of phone calls so that I have some time earmarked for planning, for thinking, for getting the things on my to-do list, at least one of them every day, done because your to-do list is usually things like you may have to be looking at a policy you may be dealing with um, some uh, issues in regards to a bill that need to be addressed and you need to really give quality time to that you need to give some quiet time some thoughtful time without a lot of interruptions and sometimes those phone calls if we don't allow ourselves that do not disturb for half an hour or an hour we don't get things done that's what can sidetrack us or derail us, is being accessible, again, in a different way to taking care of emails and phone calls. I'll tell you something. I, I heard a um, CEO of a large 
tech company several years ago say something to his team when they said, well, we're bogged down doing emails all the time. I mean, that's all I seem to be doing is responding to emails. He said, I don't pay you to respond to emails. He said, I do pay you to develop things and then make sure that emails are responded to within 72 hours, which I thought was really good because he gave permission to his team to do mm. the work they were here to do. But at the same time saying, yes, emails are important, but let's put a time frame around that. For example, like at Habitat for Humanity International, the idea is that we attempt to respond to things within 24 to 48 business hours. Okay. Um, that yeah. is what, what we are asked to really look at doing if possible, at least in my department at the operational excellent department excellence department mm -hmm. is 24 to 48 hours um, and so when you mm -hmm. give people your staff permission give yourself permission even to say yes the board wants me to respond to them but what is the time period they want me to respond to anything yeah I, I, just, I, I love that in every way Pat because that that's so gosh you know the first thing that you mentioned there you know, the, like that open door policy, right? And checking emails, because I'm gonna use them comparatively here. Like those are, those are great things. You know, like on the one hand, the open door policy, that's a great leadership tool to have, but if not used effectively, right? You could totally mm -hmm. derail you. Absolutely. And similarly, checking emails, you know, you, you gotta check these emails, you gotta return calls, that's, that's important. But again, there's an effective way to do it, right? And there's an ineffective way. And if you're constantly, mm -hmm. I got to reply right now, and you, you really never get anything done, right? you know, it's kind of that, that phrase that you end up, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, right? You, you never really, because yes. as you know, there's some of those tasks that we have to do sometimes where it's, it's three hours of me focusing just on this, you know? Um, and if you don't take it because you're so distracted, I, I just, I love what you just gave us. I, I don't want to go on a rant about it. I just think it's so practical and so helpful. Um, yeah, I hope so. And, and it kind of, it, it kind of leads me into my next thought. Um, you know, I think as we go forward with the Habitat mission, you know, we've seen a lot of challenges this year, the whole world has. Um, but I think that we might at Habitat be seeing some unique challenges um in the coming months years etc and i'd be interested to know just from what you're seeing coming down the pipeline um what are the, some of the challenges that you see us facing in habitat land and how, how do we address those you know maybe some of the practical things that you can think of mm -hmm. one of the things i think is looking at how we raise funds i mean i know that best practices are always promoted um, to our, our affiliates through HFHI and other resources, you know, uh, best practice resources for nonprofits is, um, you know, and so looking at not having all your resources, um, your funding resources, I should say, um, coming from, you know, in having all your eggs in one basket. Uh, you know, I think after the crisis in 07, 08, and also in COVID-19, we're reminded of that more than ever before, that if we have a restore, maybe we were counting on our restore as being our primary revenue source. Um, and, and how then, if you had to close the restore, how that was going to change things for you all. Um, as an affiliate in regards to bringing in uh, funding and resources that you need. 
But the other thing is, is that um, as you're looking at your fundraising, how do you raise money? And you're looking at that pie, we always say. So don't put all the eggs in the basket. Don't have just one revenue source. Create that pie and look at what are uh, revenue sources that are going to continue no matter what. Well, there's not one of them that does. Um, in our case, if we have a financial crisis, we have a COVID-19 and people are laid off or are put on unemployment, they're challenged in making mortgages, which is a revenue source for our affiliates many times, most times, um, is then challenged, isn't it? It no longer is available at the level that it might have been before or if at all. Um, so, you know, the, uh, fundraising donors, all of a sudden, um, if there's a crisis, then the market goes down, what happens to donors? And do they have the money to invest at the level they have in the past? So it's really kind of looking at, this is what I, I tell affiliates all the time, is that, yes, you normally have the difficult challenges that everybody has in operating a nonprofit or, or in a business, you know, dealing with difficult people, maybe firing a staff person if you run a restore you may have people stealing from you or you may have um, people who come in to shop and there's theft issues that you deal with there's land issues and you're, you know your mortgage people delinquency the normal things that's normal for us put a crisis like we've been seeing right. then we have to really look at how do we and this is something i think hfhi is been doing very well is really looking at scenario planning the what if and to be more prepared as possible like we know one could prepare for COVID-19 it's not like when we get a hurricane uh, or, or uh, the fires out in California where it's only one area and so you can move and maybe be more creative um, as, a, as an uh, organization but at the end of the day this has impacted all of us, just like the financial crisis. And so one of the things I talk about is that it's really important to look at prior, be more proactive prior to a crisis, knowing these kinds of crises can come up, to really look at contingency plans, the what ifs. What if this happens? One of the things that I think has come out of looking at scenario planning and what ifs is, Okay, we normally have a huge fundraiser that occurs in September, but we're in the middle of COVID and we can't bring people together. How do we then still host this event, if possible, by tweaking it so it becomes more online or it looks different in regards to attendees? But let's think about how we can be creative in advance of the crisis so that we are better positioned to have that revenue stream still be a viable uh, source of income. Does that make sense? That's just one example, Ryan, yeah. that I look at. Yeah, I, I, think it, I, I think it more than makes sense. I think you, what you're hitting on right there, I think is like, it's something that Donna and I have talked a lot about over the last several months with COVID is the need to be proactive. It, it's the need to sit down and plan. And, you know, there, let's just speak honestly. Um, you know, very few of us really could have expected this sort of <laughs> situation, or much less try to develop a legitimate plan for it. But, but really, what you're saying, or at least the way I'm taking it here, is that it's really the way you do that is by having an attitude of proactive behavior. 
you know, a proactive attitude that your, your thought is, let me go ahead and think what we would maybe do if, if the ship just got turned upside down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that to me is a leadership quality. It's being able to step back, take that time, and look at things a little bit more objectively. I mean, it, it, am I understanding that correctly? That's the way I'm you thinking are, of it. I, and I always call it, you know, it's it's the what off what if planning. It's called Scenari- setting up scenarios. Right. What if, and taking that time both on the governing side with the board and on the executive management side, and bringing that together and really looking at it honestly. It's the only way to, I think, be be good stewards of your current dollars and be true to the people and the mission you're here to move forth. Um, it's an important part aspect, as you said, in being strong leaders um, is making sure that that is occurring. And it goes back to what I said earlier, even though we wear a lot of hats, that's something that you make time for as wear that hat as the manager, as the leader of the organization, as the board of that organization taking time to make sure that, as you said, the perfect word, proactive, um, and building that into your annual schedule. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's, I always say you should be creating a budget every year as a good leader. You have to make sure you have a strong mm-hmm. operational plan every year. Well, part of looking at that operational planning, right, is to look at then taking time to spend on the what if. What if this right. event that we have planned? What if um, we have a board of directors that, you know, 50% of their term limits are pretty much up, and then we don't have enough boards, board members consistent with our bylaws? Can we have something under an emergency situation that gives them another year, another six months? Should we be thinking of that? And one of the things that I really hear a lot from affiliates that came out of COVID 19 is, sweat equity hours that um, they weren't able to, you know, that many have used contractors when they were able to get back on a build or if they were in an area that, you know, they were able to still, they had a contractor come in, but they didn't want, normally they might've had a plumber come in and that, and the family coming in. Right. Um, And maybe a few volunteers. So the family's not able to now come on the, um, the site. So what do you do about sweat equity hours? The house is getting done and it's mostly by contractors or one or two volunteers that are your experienced seasoned ones. And you don't want to put the family there because what happens with a seasoned affiliate, affiliate volunteer on a job site and a brand new green volunteer who happens to be a homeowner. You have to be in close proximity many times, don't you, to show them things. Well, that becomes an issue yeah, for many absolutely. of the affiliates, right? So so looking at that, Ryan, um, about it, and really thinking about in the future, what if, what if we could not have a homeowner for an extended period of time? What could they be doing maybe for sweat equity? Could they be sending out, and this is a suggestion I gave to an affiliate just back in May, could they be sending out thank you notes? Could they be um, helping you create opportunities for um, uh, maybe giving an interview to an affiliate, I mean, to a local newspaper about the affiliate, about her becoming or he becoming a, a homeowner? 
um, and start thinking about how do we utilize them in different ways? How do we utilize their skills and their, their knowledge to maybe support the affiliate in a different way at the same time completing their sweat equity? So thinking out of the box, I think, is really important as a strong leader. You can't stay within your box, especially during crises. Hey, yeah, well, what a great way to put it. Um, I actually like that so much. That, that would be a great t-shirt. You can't stay in your box. <laughs> in a crisis. Um, that's a really great way to put it. Um, and, and I think so many of us right now on times like this are so challenged because we have to come out of that box. And, um, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, though, and, and I love your thoughts on this. You know, I think to have that kind of attitude, if you will, that kind of mentality that, um, I'm going to lean into this problem. I'm going to think outside of my box. I'm going to do my what if planning. Would you think it fair to say that to do that, you kind of have to have a certain, um, you have to be in a certain headspace. And, and by that, I mean, you have to be taking care of yourself. You have to be um, aware of your shortcomings, your successes, everything, um, you know, so that you can really be that kind of leader you need to be. I, I just imagine that, you know, we, that's one of the things that so many of us miss out on is taking care of ourselves and not seeing that taking care of ourselves as leaders helps to put us in a position where we can take care of the, the organization. Does that make sense? It makes a huge sense. And I think it's even more important now than ever before um, to make sure you have that white work-life balance when the majority of people are working from home. Um, and, and so I think that if you are going to be effective in your job, you're absolutely right. How do you take care of yourself? What does that really look like? What does that mean? How can you do it without it meaning a cost to you? Because financially, you may have a budget, right? Um, within your own personal absolutely. budget that you can't do things like that. And, and I will tell you for myself and for others that um, I've been working with, and I'm really fortunate, I work with the, with the at-risk team within Operational Excellence Department. I have a manager that is extremely um, in touch with the importance of uh, creating work-life balance for all of us and really encourages us to, to kind of think out what's out there that we can utilize as a resource or may send us things, um, um, whether it be a podcast, whether it be a book or an excerpt from a book that might be helpful. Um, I would say, though, to be able to get to a place where you're willing to um, really take care of yourself so you can be a strong leader. I think it goes back to to, and this is something you kind of um, shared, is how do you take care of yourself in regards to your skill sets? How do you look at what your strengths are and your weaknesses are? Where do you go to honestly look at that and get guidance on that? And, and that's something I think that all leaders go through, whether you're having a crisis or not, or should go through during a crisis or not, um, is throughout their career is to evaluate where they're at honestly and what they need to ensure that they have then the skills and knowledge to move the affiliate forward. You can only take, you know, grow the affiliate as far as you yourself have gone, I believe. So if you haven't gone that extra mile to reflect on your skill sets, where, where you're lacking maybe some of the knowledge, 
um, an experience? How do you then go about and get some of that? How do you then make sure the staff people that you hire um, can complement your skill sets and knowledge so that you are more robust um, or operation? Um, and so evaluating who you are and where you're at and then looking at what resources are out there. Um, I think that part of it, that piece then is looking at um, how do you then get stronger, not only within knowledge and without, uh, within your skills, but how do you get stronger physically and mentally uh, and spiritually to continue to do this work for both in the everyday operations and then during crisis times. And so some of the things that I've been encouraging others to do or I've talked to affiliates that something I'm doing, I'm a walker. I love to walk and start my mornings with a good walk. But I used to always listen to podcasts that were hopefully um, increasing my knowledge. But I wasn't mindful about what's around me. It costs nothing to go for a walk. I don't need to have a headset in my ears. I don't need to be listening to something except the universe. And I may know it may sound corny, but there's a lot of great stuff out there on mindfulness. And how do you be mindful when you just walk? How do you hear the birds? How do you kind of watch the wind going through the trees? And what difference might that make? Let me tell you, it makes a huge difference. You really do get in touch with Mother Earth and you begin to breathe differently. And we all know that if we are breathing in the right way, we can reduce our tension and stress. We can begin to clear our minds. So something as simple as walking for me is a great outlet and it helps me do that work-life balance. If we've had a really tough day and we've worked through lunch, I, my boss will hear it in my voice at two o'clock when we're on it and she'll say, did you get to take our minute out for you today? And I'll say, no, as you know, we worked through lunch. It was crazy. She said, you know what I did? I took a 15 minute walk. Take, why don't you take 15 minutes for you? So as a manager, as a leader, you have to, you want to take care of yourself. So then you can show your staff in a positive way how to, to have their own work-life balance. And I get that from my boss in many ways. So really looking at that, I encourage you to use podcasts like this. Um, there are wonderful podcasts. Um, I started, uh, started doing something called Qigong, um, which is a wonderful way for me to breathe differently, to move differently, to get centered. You can do it for five minutes. You can do it for 35 minutes. Um, you can go to YouTube. I tell people YouTube is a great resource, wonderful resource. If you have an insurance company that you have your medical insurance with, they're all offering wonderful resources um, to really look at how do you take care of yourself? How do you meditate? How do you breathe differently? How do you use exercise? How do you just have fun and be a child? You know, when's the last time you went and did something you did as a child you love? And so for me, I spend my Saturdays or Sundays early morning in the ocean or in a pool. Um, now with COVID, I go very early when there's no one there, but I still get about an hour in because for me, it's like being a child again, jumping waves or swimming in a pool. So just reflecting on taking care of you, who you are, 
what you need to be stronger in all facets of your life. So doing it in a more, I would say, holistic way, Brian, um, as we look at that work-life balance. And I know I just said a lot in a little time, so. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you said everything. I'll be honest with you. I, I love the idea of mindfulness meditation. Um, I, I myself have been doing some of the breathing techniques. I'm going to look up, send me some information on the one you just said, because I'm really getting into this breathing technique thing, because you realize, especially when you do it, it's one of those things that you can almost instantaneously feel like you're taking yeah. better care of yourself. Yeah. You know, you, got, your mind gets yeah. clearer. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, you asked, you know, which one? Qigong. Um, people do Tai Chi and things like that. Qigong, I really like because um, I can just stand up from my computer um, and I can either put a five-minute video or 10-minute one to to get myself centered for the afternoon um, to relax after I've listened to a very difficult call with an affiliate and and the challenges that they're dealing with. And so it increases my flexibility, it increases my muscle strength, helps me really focus using the deep breathing so I can release tension and anxiety. It, but it's called Qigong, and it's Q-I, and the second word is Q-O-N-G, but it's pronounced Qigong. And it's just a wonderful way to use our body um, centered on the earth to revive ourselves and get the energy and, and um, direction we need to continue each day. It's really kind of fun. You know, I, I just love that. I mean, I, I love that, that you brought these things up to me. It, it, it just reaffirms why I'm so glad we've had you on the podcast and why you're one of my mentors, because um, even though we haven't discussed these things before, they're the sort of things that I've used in my life to help take care of me as well. And it's going to be funny. I can't wait till Donna hears this podcast and she talks about you or when you talk about going for a walk, that's, that's Donna, uh, our affiliate support coordinator. That's her thing. She loves doing her walks um, as well as, as well as listening to podcasts as well. Things that, that, that build her up, I should say um, in her podcast. And uh, what you've just given us, I think is great practical stuff that we can, yeah, anybody can do. You just mentioned the pronounce it Shigong. It's Shigong. Is it mm -hmm. Shigong. I mean, you said the Shigong can be done right there at your desk. You know, it's not something special you have to do. It's very accessible. Um, yeah. I noticed, however, we are running a little low on time. So I, there's one final question that I really want to ask you. Um, what are the things that you... At Frederico are doing um, maybe personally, professionally, not just to take care of yourself, but just the goal maybe, you know, where, mm -hmm. where you're seeing Pat Frederico in two years, 10 years, yeah. wherever. Uh, would you share those with us? Sure. And it's interesting because I'm in a different place than um, many of our new leaders um, as I'm talking to them. You know, I've been doing the work in nonprofit for 39 years and I've grown a lot through different positions and learned a lot. One of the things I continue to do is um, participate in podcasts and learning about uh, dealing with difficult people. I've done conflict resolution. I was a conflict resolution uh, person um, who facilitated workshops for many years, years ago. But I find that, I know it may sound strange, but I do that because um, I learn a lot about myself. 
um, taking a podcast or learning, reading a book about dealing with difficult people. I also am very um, intrigued in mediation and conflict resolution. So I have completed my coursework for becoming a certified mediator um, because I do think that um, sometimes I'm, I'm dealing with situations both in my personal and professional life, but especially in my professional life, where um, I have boards that are conflicted and ha are ha very angry um, and have issues that need to be mediated. And I find that this help is helping me having these uh, skills. Um, also, I have to say that um, I take a lot of time um, reading up on organizations and how they develop and how to uh, work with leadership on both um, the social service side and the business side. I learned early on in my career that even though I came into social services, as I became a leader, I needed to be reminded of that I needed to learn about the business side of our operate, you know, uh, an, an affiliate or an operation, a nonprofit organization, and, and to really be able to be effective and uh, efficient to navigate through all the times. Um, I needed to un understand that it's not just about delivery of programs and the people we serve, but it's how to keep that organization running. So the business side is really important to continue to add skills to. And so for me, I have found that in the 30 some years since I started, business uh, protocols have changed. Um, we look at business different in regards to how we operate in many respects. So I wanna keep abreast on uh, best practices so that as I support um, nonprofits, I can make sure I have the most current information on how do you then be an effective leader, ensuring that you understand all the components uh, of your operation and how to uh, function within those as a good leader. So. I'm always reading something. Everybody will tell you. I've always got a book list going. So. <laughs> well, that, that's so great. I mean, to me, that, that, like I said, affirms why I'm glad we had you on here is because you seem to be one of those people who is always trying to move the ball forward, um, you know, personally, professionally, whatever it is, to grow, to, you know, learn new things, see new things, experience new things. And, and through that, right, it, it, it provides you, I think, the skill set and the experience to be able to to pass that on to others and say, here's what I did and here's why it was effective. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for everything you've shared, Pat. This has actually just been fantastic. Um, I really appreciate your time. appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing for the affiliates in, in Georgia. And uh, are you are you doing folks across the country or are you just here in the Southeast? Where I am all over the country. Yes, I handle. Oh, um, that's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, all those that are affiliates that are out of good standing for high risk areas um, and issues mm -hmm. uh, throughout the country. Yeah. And I love it. I wouldn't, oh. um, you know, I get, I get to, I get to speak to some of the greatest leaders I say every day because they're really setting out to make a difference, not about who they are, but it's really about the goals that they can move forward. And it's just joyful that I get to interact with them. And I'm grateful for the ASO and the relationship that we've been able to build and the partnership that we've been able to then work more effectively with your Georgia affiliates. And I'm looking forward to doing more in the next few years with you all. I'm glad Donna's on board. It's wonderful having that, that team. Uh, 
I am. I am too. Like I said, I'm. I'm hoping that having her on board, fewer and fewer of our people will have to come onto your list. You know, that's my my objective. Me too. Um, but I know. But I know that if they do show up on your list, that they're going to somebody who cares, who is mission centered, and is who is going to you know give them the sort of thing that they need to move forward. So, sincerely, thank you for that, and thank you, of course, for your time for being on the, the podcast called A Hand Up. We really appreciate you, Ms. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Take care. God bless. You too, ma'am.